Bibles this morning and turn to Jonah and chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 and we'll just read from verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together as believers. We thank you, Lord, that we can um, sit and listen to the preaching of your word. And Lord, I just pray that this morning you would empower me through your spirit. Lord, you enable me that everything I say this morning will be your words and your thoughts. And that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts this morning. May you refresh us through your word, encourage us, Lord. Teach us through your word. May you be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in chapter 2, if you remember, I know it was a little while ago, but in chapter 2 we, we saw that Jonah finally turned to the Lord and repented of his sin. Now chapter 2 was the, the turning point in Jonah's life. You know, Jonah, of course, had rebelled against the will of God. God had said he wanted him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah had said, no, thank you, Lord. And he'd run from God. He had decided that he was going to do his own thing with his life. He was going to do his own will. And effectively what Jonah had done is he'd thrown in the towel. He'd quit the ministry. He'd quit serving God and he'd run from God on that, on that ship on the way to Tarshish, seeking to get as far away from where God desired him to be as he possibly could. You know, God in his love and his grace had chastened this disobedient, rebellious prophet. God had chased him after him. God had sent the storm to halt him in his path. And then, of course, consequently, he's thrown overboard and the Lord sends the, the whale to swallow him whole. And it's there in the belly of the whale as he's there for three days and three nights that the Lord works in his heart and finally, Jonah repents. Finally, he accepts the discipline of God in his life. He accepts the chastening hand of the Lord upon him and he turns to the Lord in faith. He repents. He gets his heart right with God. You know, it was only once he repented of his sin, it was only once he resolved that he was going to obey the Lord that God answered his prayer and delivered him from the belly of the whale. It was only once he turned back to God that God then instructed the whale to vomit him up upon dry land. Look in verse 10 of chapter 2. It says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. It's only after Jonah had repented that this takes place. After he's got his heart right with God, that God now delivers him from the belly of the whale. You know, as chapter 3 begins now, we have a wonderful glimpse here, a wonderful picture of the grace of our God. The grace and mercy of our God towards his disobedient servant. Indeed, towards all of us, his servants. See, Jonah, this disobedient, rebellious prophet, as we said, had rejected the will of God. He'd quit the ministry, he'd quit what God was telling him to do, and he decided to do his own thing. And yet as chapter 3 begins, what does God do? He calls him to go and serve him again. He calls him to the ministry again. The Lord gives him, if you like, a second chance. Now, Jonah didn't deserve this. Jonah didn't deserve this. Jonah had done nothing to serve this kind of grace, but this is our God. He is a gracious and he is a merciful God. And so this morning, I want us to focus on God's grace to the prophet Jonah. And I want us to consider the marvel of Jonah's undeserved commission from God. 
Notice first, if you would, in verse 1, that we see that God met with his servant Jonah. God met Jonah in verse 1. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying... You know, as chapter 3 begins here, the first thing we notice is that God is meeting with his servant. God meets with Jonah here. And we're not told exactly where Jonah is at this time. We know that he's been vomited up upon dry land, but we're not told where. We don't know whether he's back at Joppa. We don't know whether he's further south on the coast near Jerusalem or something like that. We're not told where the whale deposits Jonah, but we do know that God is there. We do know that God meets with his servant here. God meets with this repentant servant. You know, until now, Jonah had been trying to run away from God's will. Until this turning point in chapter 2 and being vomited up upon dry land, he'd been running from God. Jonah did not want to obey God. Jonah did not want God to meet with him. And I'm sure that as he was running from God during his time of rebellion, it seemed like God was distant from him. It seemed like God was an eternity away. Because that's what sin does. Sin causes that that separation of fellowship and it causes God to seem that he's ages away from us, that he's so far away, he's not beside us anymore. You know, now after he gets his heart right with the Lord, Jonah finds that God is right there beside him. God meets with Jonah and communes with him. You know, the wonderful truth in all this is that even though Jonah probably felt like God had left him, God wasn't by him. God had never left him. God had never left his servant. God had never forsaken his servant through it all. You know, even when Jonah was trying to run from God, when he was in complete rebellion against God, God still had not forsaken him. God had not given up on him. God had not left his servants. Yes, it dis- God. Dis- sorry. Yes, he. God had was displeased with his servant. Yes, God was upset with Jonah for his sin and the way he was acting. Yes, God sent the storm to chasten him, but God didn't desert him. In fact, the chastening of God demonstrates the presence of God. You see, the chastening hand of God upon him was God's presence. God was in the storm. God was the one who brought the whale. God was the one who delivered him from the depths. You see, even though it seemed like God was far away, God was right there through it all, exercising his chastening hand because he loved his servants. You see, God never forsook Jonah. God didn't give up on him. As I said, the separation that Jonah felt was caused by his sin. The fellowship, the relationship he had with God was hindered by his sin, his rebellion. Fellowship was broken, but God had not forsaken him. Now, that's a wonderful truth. Fellowship was broken, but God had not forsaken him. And now as Jonah repents, fellowship is immediately restored. God meets with his servants. Now, this is a wonderful truth for all of us who are saved here this morning. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior this morning, if we, we know him, we have a relationship with him, it's wonderful to know that even when you and I rebel against God, even when we forsake him, he doesn't forsake us. Even when we, we throw on the towel and say, I'm going to do my own thing, Lord, he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He keeps going with us. He pursues us. Now, Hebrews 13, verse 5, which we know well, it talks about that. It says, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's God's promise to us. It doesn't matter how much you and I rebel or how much we sin against him, God doesn't forsake us. He doesn't forsake us. 
This is the faithfulness. This is the mercy, the love, the grace of our God. Now, even though we are unfaithful to him, he will not forsake us. Indeed, his presence when we rebel is seen by his chastening hand upon us. As much as we hate the chastening of God, that is God's love. That is God's grace. That is God's mercy. God is right there with us trying to get us to turn back. That's God showing his presence. That's God working in our hearts, our lives. We don't like it. We don't like it, but that's God working to bring us to him. Now, when we rebel, fellowship is broken with the Lord, and he does seem far away. He does, doesn't he? When you sin, when you're out of fellowship, it seems like God is far away. You know, the reality is that he's right there beside us waiting for you and I to get our hearts right with him. Waiting for us to repent so he can meet with us and commune with us as his children. Secondly, we see not only does he meet Jonah, but God speaks to Jonah. God speaks to Jonah. Look in verse 1 again. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, God speaks to Jonah. You see, not only does he meet his, his repentant servant now, not only does he meet with Jonah, but God also speaks to him. You know, while Jonah was out of the will of God, the voice of the Lord had been silenced. That's the reality. His disobedient servant, he gives him a chance. Now, God was under no obligation to do this. He was under no obligation to meet with him, no obligation to speak to him, let alone call him again to the ministry. This is the mercy and grace of God. He didn't cast Jonah aside. He didn't give up on him and say, you're a useless tool to me. You failed me, and that's it. I give up. He restores him, and God uses him. You know, when I fall, when we fail, the enemy, the devil, he wants us to believe that's it, doesn't he? He wants us to believe that that's it. We're useless to God. We failed him. We've sinned, and so God can't use you anymore. You know, I'm sure we've heard that little voice. But that is what they, the, the devil wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that when we fail the Lord, our ministry is over, our, our life is over, we can't be used of God. There's no hope for us. There's no hope of ever being useful to Almighty God ever again. You know, praise God, that's not the God we serve. That's not the God that you and I serve. Our God is a gracious and merciful God. Our God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, the sixth chance. You keep going on. God doesn't give up on us. Just turn over to Psalm 37. Verse we probably know well. Psalm 37 verse 24. In Psalm 37 verse 24 it says, Though he fall... He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Isn't that a wonderful truth? That though we fall, we cast down. He doesn't cast aside. He doesn't give up on us. Micah 7 verse 8 states basically the exact same truth. That though we fall, he doesn't give up on us. We can rise again. You see, when we fall, when we fail the Lord, he doesn't throw us aside and give up. He doesn't cast aside as being useless to him. Instead, he chastens us in his love so that we might repent, so that we might then be restored, and he can use us to his glory. He forgives and he restores. You know, throughout the world, we are confronted with this glorious truth, are we not? 
right about the word of God. You think in Genesis chapter 12, turn there, but in Genesis 12, we have the story of Abraham going down to Egypt with his wife. And what does he do? He lies to Pharaoh and says that she's my sister. Why is he? Because of a lack of faith in God, a lack of trust. He fails to trust God and Abraham sins. Does God cast him aside? Does God give up him? No, God restores him. And God uses Abraham to his glory. In Genesis 16, Abraham again tells the Lord. This time he, he takes Hagar and bears a son, Ishmael. Why does he do this? Because he fails to trust the promise of God. Sarah and Abraham didn't believe they could have the promised seed. They were too old. And so they tried to rectify it themselves. And again, they sinned against Almighty God. They failed him. God cast Abraham and Sarah aside and say, I'm done with you. No, he chastened them. He forgave them. And he restored them. And he gave them the promised son, Isaac. You know, Jacob lied to his father to steal his brother's birthright. But what did God do? God chastened him, finally broke him, and restored him and used him to be one of the fathers of the nation. The 12 tribes come from Jacob. Moses was a murderer, committed the act of murder. He murdered the Egyptian, and yet God restored him and made him the leader of the nation. David sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, and then he murdered her husband. And yet God restored and used him mightily as the greatest king, earthly king, Israel ever saw. Just turn to 2 Samuel. Let's read about that. 2 Samuel verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, sorry. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. <clears throat> This is David after he sinned. It says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Now that's the grace and mercy of God. David had sinned. He would failed God. But what, is, what happens? He, he confesses his sin. He says, I have sinned. That's him repenting. And God restores him. God gives David. David doesn't die. You know, in the New Testament, we've got examples as well. Think of Peter. What Peter do? He denied the Lord thrice. Did God give up on Peter? No, he was and used him mightily to his glory. Now, the idea is that we could go for verse after verse, pass the passage, and show that this is what our God is like. Time and time again, God demonstrates the fact that he doesn't give up on us as his servants. He doesn't just cast us aside. But rather, each time we see that when we repent, God restores us, and then he uses us. This is the God we serve. He is a loving, gracious, and forgiving God. You know, even when we fail Him, He doesn't cast us off. But rather, in His love, He chastens and seeks to restore. Now, that's what 1 John 1 9 is all about, isn't it? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what that's all about. That's the wonderful grace of God. We sin, we fail Him. Then we need to return to Him and confess that sin. Get our hearts right with Him. And he promises to always forgive, always restore. You know, let us be careful here to understand that, you know, we can't use this as an excuse to sin. We can't use all these examples here as an excuse to sin. Somehow thinking that, you know, we can sin and it doesn't matter because God will restore me. I can sin and it doesn't matter because God will still use me. You see, that kind of attitude fails to understand the gravity of sin. And us to understand the holiness of our God. 
You see, yes, God in his grace forgives us of our sin. You know, sin still carries with it consequences. The consequences are still there. God doesn't take them away. We have to live with the scars of our sin. Think of Jonah. Jonah paid dearly for his sin. He spent three nights in the belly of a whale. He had to live with that, that, that image. I'm sure the smells in there were not great. He suffered three days and three nights in the belly of a whale because of his sin. He was chastised by God because of his sin. He had to live with that. Indeed, all the examples that we listed before, if we went and looked at them all, each of them suffered consequences for their sin. God didn't take them away. God forgave them, God restored them, used them, but the consequences still existed. Let's just look at one example, David, where we were before. I don't know whether you're still there or not, but 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 was the one we read. But then in verse 14 it says, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. You see, there was consequences to David's sin. Yes, David didn't die. David was restored. David was used by God. But his son died. The child died because of his sin. You see, there was consequences. And as I said before, each of those examples we looked at, there was consequences to their sin. Each time. The consequences didn't disappear. They sinned. And the same is true for us. Sin carries consequences. Sin scars our life. We will reap what we sow. It will affect others. It will affect our lives. But when we repent, God will always restore us to fellowship and God can use us glory. See, praise God, he doesn't ever just give up and cast us aside as being useless and worthless to him. If he did, none of us would be sitting here today. None of us would be able to use by God because all of us have failed him. You see, no matter what we do or what, what we have done, God will still use us if we turn back to him. Fourthly and lastly, here we see the challenge. God challenges Jonah. Chapter 3 again, verse 1, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. You see, finally this morning we see that God not only met with him, spoke to him and commissioned him, but God challenged him. God gives to Jonah a great challenge. You know, in verse we read that God tells him to go to Nineveh, the great city. That great city. In this book, Nineveh is called a great city. And indeed, Nineveh was a great and mighty city. Nineveh was great in history in the sense that it was an ancient city. Founded by Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, back in Genesis chapter 10. This city had been around for a long time time it was an ancient city it was great in history not only was it great in history but this city was great in size it was huge for its day you know the historians tell us that the circumference of the city was somewhere sorry the sand it serves was somewhere around 60 miles it's a bitty for its day one wall of the city one wall there was numerous but one wall of the city boasted 1500 towers that's huge. 1,500 towers on one wall. This, this city is huge. It, it's a magnificent, great city. In chapter 4, verse 11, just turn over there and read. It says, Should not, not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons 
They cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand and also much cattle. They're told here that there are six score thousand children under the age of four in this city. In other words, the population is somewhere between 600,000 and a million souls. This is a big city. It was great in history, it was great in eyes, but you know, it was great in sin as well. This is a wicked, wicked city. And this was a city that didn't love God, didn't care about God's law. This was a city that, you know, um, treated others with absolute contempt. They showed no mercy to their enemies. They skinned them alive. They impaled them moles. The list goes on. They were a barbaric city. And you know, it was to this great city that God sends Jonah. This is where Jonah is sent to preach. And the challenge that is set before Jonah is this. Go and preach that which I tell you. That's what it says in verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. That's what it says. The challenge is great, but the message is simple. You just say what I tell you to say. You just preach what I tell you, Jonah. God says, I'll give you the words to speak. You just go and do as I've told you. Now think about the task that's before Jonah here for a second. This is one man commissioned by God to preach to the largest city in the world at the time, probably one of the most wicked cities in the world at the time. One man, his own. This task is huge. And only by the God, grace of God and the power of God could he ever hope to accomplish it. Now in verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be thrown. Forty days to accomplish this. Forty days was all. He didn't have years to go and set up his, his missionary work and work for years with these people. He had 40 days. Now, as I was reading the study this week, I saw a great quote from Spurgeon. It was very lengthy, but so I didn't put it in. But he talked about how if it was us, we'd have a missionary missions planning board and we'd, and then we'd you know, get all the funds together and we'd send out and we'd plant churches. You know, and he said, we didn't, Jonah didn't have that luxury. A great illustration. Jonah is one man to this huge city and he's got 40 days to accomplish this task. Indeed, the, the task that's before Jonah seems impossible. But you know, as I consider the challenge to Jonah here, I think the most awesome thing about it all is that God entrusted it to Jonah. After Jonah's complete and utter failure, God still entrusts Jonah with this great challenge, this great task before him. God still wanted to use Jonah greatly to his glory. And indeed, as we know from the book, God's used him. You know, the, the preaching is successful. The people do turn to God. Yes, Jonah failed God greatly at the start, but after he repented, God used him mightily to his glory. Jonah didn't deserve to be used in such a mighty way. God didn't, didn't have to do this. Jonah deserved to be given such a great commission, such a great challenge from God. But God in his grace, God in his mercy chose to use him. Now, isn't it wonderful to know that even after you and I fail the Lord, He can still use us mightily to His glory? Even after we fail Him. And we all fail the Lord. We all fail Him at times in our lives. We all ignore the will of God and rebel against Him. We all sin against God. But praise God, He never casts us off. He will always, in His love, chasten us. He doesn't just sit back and let us. He chastens us in his love so that we might turn back to him in repentance so that he can meet with us 
and commune with us again as his children so that fellowship can be restored. You know, not only that, once fellowship is restored, God can and will still use us for his glory. Our past failures don't stop God from commissioning us. Yeah, there's consequences to our sin, and they are always with us. But they don't stop God from using us to him as he did with Jonah. Yes, our past failures carry with them consequences, but God will not cast us off. God will always restore us when we repent. And God can and will still use us greatly to accomplish his will. He will meet with us, speak with us, commission and challenge us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for Jonah. We thank you so much, Lord, for this great illustration, Lord, of your grace. But Lord, even though we fail you, you don't cast us aside, Lord. You don't give up on us. You don't cast us as being worthless and useless to you. But Lord, you chasten your love so that we might come back to you, so that fellowship might be restored. And so that, Lord, you might be able to use us mightily for your glory. Lord, I pray you help each of us to understand this wonderful, glorious truth. That, Lord, you can use any of us. doesn't matter what we've done in the past. Lord, you forgive and you restore. We bless you, we close in Jesus' name.